0: Hi everyone, and welcome to This Mom Loves. I'm Kate Wynn, a mom, teacher, blogger, writer, TV guest, and podcaster, and you are listening to episode 12. Which is the finale of the first season of the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Today on the show, I am going to be talking about abandoning books and also sharing a great new suspense novel that I enjoyed. In the lifestyle section, we'll be talking about tips for taking kids to restaurants as well as where kids eat free and get some great deals here in Canada. And my guest today is myself, a good friend of mine actually suggested the idea of doing an Ask Me Anything. So I put it out there on Facebook and Instagram and got a ton of great questions, some things relating to education, beauty, being on TV, some personal stuff, Kate Middleton stuff, um, organization and something that you don't know about me. So we're going to get to all of that later, which should be a lot of fun. And for now, we are going to start with the topic of abandoning books. So it's something I just wanted to mention because growing up, I always felt like when I started a book, I needed to finish it, especially in school, because usually they're required. It's an assignment and you have to finish it. Or it can be hard to when you're given a book as a gift, or there's some sort of pressure recommendation that you should read it all. Or when you buy a book, you spend your hard earned money on it, you feel like you need to finish it. But let me tell you, abandoning books can be such a relief. So if you can get books from the library, borrow books, there's not quite the same amount of guilt for sure. But it's excellent to be able to just let go. I always give it a chance. I mean, a couple of chapters, maybe a little bit more, see if it's going to hook me, especially if somebody has recommended it or it's gotten great reviews. I really want to give it a chance. But if I get a quarter of the way into a book and I am not enjoying it, and you know, because you know if you're looking forward to reading time. If you're thinking, oh, I'm gonna get to bed early, maybe I can read a chapter before I go to sleep, or if you're thinking, oh, I really don't have anything to read except that one book. So honestly, it's so freeing to just give it up. Now, an interesting stat, Goodreads says that 20% of the books read by their members are abandoned. So that's an interesting uh, piece of information to keep in mind. So you're certainly not uh, not alone if you start abandoning books. So it's easier for me too when I get a lot of books from the library. And also I'm a reviewer on NetGalley. So a lot of them are eBooks that I just read through the Kindle app on my iPad. So again, if it's really awful, there's really no harm done. No loss to me. But honestly, I feel like our time is just so precious that there's no point reading books or by the same token, watching TV shows, watching movies, unless you're really doing something to make somebody else happy and you don't mind giving up the time, start abandoning books. If you have a book that's been sitting on your bedside table, and your bookshelf, wherever, and you dread picking it up and you're not interested and you choose the next book ahead of that one and it's kind of moving to the bottom of the pile, go get rid of it right now and uh, and it will feel very good. So that's my little mini tip today in my favorite 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 things is abandoning books. However, on that topic, I do have a book that I did not abandon and that I don't think you will want to either. And it is called Watching You by Lisa Jewell. It is a review book that I got through NetGalley, but I, I enjoyed it enough to finish it and to give it a great rating. So it's already a bestseller. It was released in the UK, but it's just been released uh, very recently in Canada. It begins with a murder in an English town. A lot of those suspense books that I'm loving these days are are set in England. And it is suspenseful. It's not one of those gory type of thrillers, really gritty or anything like that. It's more psychological intrigue. So it really... Um, is based on this successful headmaster of a school and he's moved from school to school he kind of comes in and saves these schools that are maybe we call them at risk but is he a murderer is he a philanderer is he possibly even a pedophile who knows we have to keep going to the end to find out there are many secrets everybody's got their own uh, things that they're keeping to themselves and the different perspectives from the teenagers right through to the adults everyone's hiding something and the general gist of the end, I did kind of see coming the sort of who done it, But towards the end, I started to figure it out. But there was a, a really big twist right on the last page that I didn't see coming. So I would definitely suggest that if you're looking for some suspense right now, it is watching you by Lisa Jewell. You can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Facebook at this Mom Loves and on Instagram at Kate This Mom Loves. I absolutely adore it when people reach out, send a tweet or a Facebook message, Instagram message to let me know that they've listened to the podcast. It really uh, makes my day. So thank you so much to people who do that. And if you want to do that right now, that would be wonderful too. My website is thismomloves.ca. And if you need any show notes for this episode, again, it is episode 12. So thismumlovesca slash podcasts, and you can click on episode 12 for any information that you need. Next up, I want to talk about, in the lifestyle section, taking kids to restaurants. This is something that we have always done. If I recall correctly, I do think that Eva went to Wendy's before she even came home from the hospital. I think my husband came with Olivia. They picked us up. We went and stopped it at Wendy's for lunch with the newborn baby and then went home. And back when I first started freelance writing, I wrote an article called Eating Out with Kids, The Ten Commandments, and it was interesting to look back. Back at the notes because it talked about um, me having a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So time has gone by since then. The girls are now 12 and 10. But a lot of the tips um, are very helpful to parents of young kids or even some older kids too. So I'm going to share a few of those 10 commandments and then have a link to the article in the show notes so that you can check out more. So the first commandment is, thou shalt do thy research. Make sure you look into the restaurant that you're going to. Some are obviously just way too fancy, way too highbrow, tiny, intimate, quiet little places. Don't take a baby. Don't even bother. Sometimes when you call, people will... Um, will tell you, yes, we've got a kid's menu. Yes, we're really kid-friendly. Do you have high chairs? Yes, we do. That's great. Um, but you almost want to take a peek in a restaurant yourself to check it out just to be sure, because somebody might be very kind and accommodating on the phone, but then when you get there, you realize it's uh, definitely not the place. So you want to make sure that you get that information. Chains can be a great bet, but there's also a lot of local independent restaurants. I know there's some diners around where we live, where they're definitely very, very family-friendly, independent places. And, uh, and those are the kind of places that you do do you want to take your kids and find a place with a buffet. That's a good thing to do too, if you're doing your research, because then everybody just gets their food right away. You eat what you want, and then you can go as soon as you're done. So that's a good idea too. Um, step two, thou shalt prepare. So if your kids are old enough, do some role playing at home when you're doing, um, or when you're having your meals, your lunch or your dinner, role play, ordering, eating manners, using the utensils, all of that sort of stuff. You can do some silly what not to do and act out those don'ts as well as the do's. Try to make a reservation in advance. Um, ask for a booth if you can, because it's, um... A lot more convenient, you can kind of be cozied up in your own little spot, a little bit of privacy too, especially if you wanna breastfeed or anything like that. Make sure your children know if there are consequences to the misbehavior and try not to use any empty threads. Like if you don't do such and such, we're gonna get up and leave, unless you're actually planning to get up and leave because you wanna make sure that you're going to follow through. If it suits your parenting style, you may want to think about a bribe. A lot of kids' meals come with a dessert or a toy, and that might only be if, uh, if their behavior warrants it. Feed your babies before you go if you can. If you can have your bottle warmed and ready, if that's something that you need. I know I found a lot of times restaurants were very wary of heating a bottle for you. I'm sure there's legal regulations and things like that. So you want to be on top of that one. Think about inviting the grandparents along. We often go to dinner with my mom and dad now, and even when the kids were, were really young, we did that, and it kind of increases the adult-to-child ratio where someone can go take the child for a walk or to the bathroom, and it's also nice to have that three-generation sort of visit. Step three, thou shalt stock the diaper bag. So even if your kids are out of diapers, you're still going to want to have certain things on hand. You might want to have your booster seat or infant carrier with you. It's always nice to have some special toys or a game or something that you keep in the bag just for restaurants so that there's some novelty when you get there. They're going to be interested and want to play with it. Magic pen or invisible ink, those invisible coloring sets are great because you know they're not going to make a mess of somebody's restaurant and make any stains, but... Those can be fun. Bring little containers of finger foods, whether it's just kind of an appetizer before the meal, or if you've got toddlers who aren't even going to be eating off the menu, have lots of things that that are available. Bring the sippy cups. That's one thing I know. Even when there are kids' meals, if your child is really young, the cup that comes with the kids' meal, there might not be a lid, might not be a straw, might not be what your child is used to drinking out of. So that's something that you should think about too. Commandment number four, thou shalt be realistic. So you can't expect to enjoy a meal out if your kids are sick or tired. That might be the time where you just need to cancel or uh, or reschedule. Work around your nap and bedtimes. Again, just setting yourself up for disaster if you're keeping your child up way past when they expect to be asleep. I would also um, offer the advice of not picking a fight with a picky eater at a restaurant. Let them choose something that's off the menu. If you've got any special directions for the staff, I mean, our kids used to know, well, I want red sauce, not white sauce, or vice versa, depending on which kid, that sort of thing. And they could say it themselves as soon as we were, they were old enough to talk, they were old enough to, to order. We thought that was really, really important. You can ask for the kids' meals to be brought out right away. Some people ask for the drinks to be saved until the meals come so that the kids don't fill up on that drink before they get their food and need a refill already. But then you can also ask for the kids' meals to come out as soon as they're done, even if the adult meals aren't ready, because that sometimes can help if the kids can get started and, and get their hunger satisfied a little bit order your own meal, making sure that you can eat it with one hand. I wrote a note in this article that my husband learned the hard way that some of his favorites like fajitas and ribs were going to have to be left until uh, until the kids were older or for our kid-free outings, which we certainly had some of as well. And yes, he can now have fajitas and ribs now that the kids are 10 and 12. He's been doing that for a long time now. Restaurants don't expect you to order meals for really small children either, so they can share from your plate, or if you want to feed them something from home, baby food, finger foods, those sorts of things, that's usually that's usually fine. Ask for lots of extra napkins. And the next commandment that I'm going to share is, «Thou shalt remember thy manners». After eating, be sure to tidy up as best as you can. Yes, someone is getting paid to tidy up behind you, but you may, with young children, have left a much bigger mess than your your typical customer. And make sure to leave a tip proportionate to any extra service and or cleanup that your child required. Uh, One waitress that I talked to back at this time suggested a few extra percent depending on the size of mess you left behind or all the special orders, all the different things that may have been involved to serve your family. So that is just a few of those tips for eating out with kids. And I will have the rest of them in the show notes at thismumlovesca slash podcasts. Again, this is episode 12. I will also share a link to a blog post that I put up very recently with you, so it's very up to date, and it's restaurants where kids eat free in Canada, and also where they have special kids clubs where you can sign up and get free meals for birthdays and that sort of thing. I know one example is Smitty's. In a lot of locations, including our local one, kids eat free after 4pm because it's mainly a busy, bustling breakfast place, but after four o'clock, kids eat free. So there was a long time, I think it's 10 and under, so our girls are past it, but there was a long time where we would go there for dinners because we could get a sit-down restaurant meal really for the price of four of us going to a fast food restaurant because my husband and I were, would order off the menu and the two girls' meals would be free. So that's uh, a great thing to keep in mind and to just take a look. Sometimes it's certain nights of the week. Sometimes it's just special seasonal deals, but you can take a look at that link as well because uh, it's always nice to go out to eat and save some money as well. So again, thismumloves.ca slash podcasts, episode 12 and a link to where kids can eat free in Canada. And now the special guest this week on This Mom Loves is me. So thank you so much to my friend who suggested and Ask Me Anything and to all the people who sent in such great questions. I'm going to try to get to as many of them as I can. So thanks for those questions through Facebook and Instagram. I did promise that I wouldn't use names, and so I'm not sure who does or doesn't want me to use their names, so I'm just not going to use any. But I really do appreciate all the questions that I received. So I'm going to go through them in order here. I've got a few notes made. So the first question was, and I think this is based on my expertise as a teacher, if you know that your child is a bit ahead of others in a particular subject, is it better to have them feel confident and review or is it better to have them move further ahead and challenge them? Great question. So we all like sometimes to default to something a little bit easy. So I'm not sure if this mom had a specific subject in mind, but I'm going to think about things like reading and math. So I mean, for sure, sometimes as, as highly educated as someone may be and whatever reading level they may be at, sometimes it's nice to just read some low level, maybe a familiar book, something you already know. And this is even for adults. So the same thing for kids, and it does build their confidence. So when they can memorize a book and they reread it, or when they know all the words and they read it again. Sometimes it's just familiar stories, familiar characters. It can be comforting. Nothing wrong with that. I would just say it should be a smaller percentage of time. So you really want to make sure that kids are growing and learning, and they're really not. There are benefits, like I said, the confidence building, the comfort, benefits to having some time of sort of going back and and practicing something they already know. Same with math. I mean, if they're at a higher skill level and they're going back and doing something a little simpler, for a little bit, there's absolutely no harm in that. But you definitely want to make sure that they're kind of in a zone where where that they that they have growth. So the other point too is something too challenging, something too hard isn't good for them either. So giving them a book that's really above their reading level or math that they can't understand, that's not going to push them ahead if it's way beyond. You wanna sort of have that zone of proximal development as they say in education where you're sort of getting them where they're at and pushing them a little bit further. So if it's a case that you don't feel that that's happening at school, which, which is possible, you never know, talk to the teacher about it because maybe in certain subjects there are ways to push your child on ahead or there are some things that can be sent home to help with enrichment if that is the case. I would say in terms of the easy stuff, you might want that to be maybe 10, 15% of their time and the, the real majority of their time spent at that zone where they're actually learning something new. That does bring up, though, quickly the subject of acceleration or skipping grades, as some might call it. I did work for three years as an itinerant teacher of the gifted with our school board, and I did a lot of enrichment programs, worked with a lot of identified gifted kids. There was a lot of talk about grade skipping. Now, I have seen a couple of cases where it has been absolutely fine. I can think of one in particular where it was a very, very bright girl, January birthday, tall for her age, mature. It all worked out completely fine. Um... She would say it. I spoke to her mother a long time ago when I was writing an article about this issue and she thought at the time that yes, it had been a great decision. So yes, it can be good. I wouldn't recommend it in a lot of cases. Sometimes parents think, well, my child is so advanced in this one specific area. Maybe we should be looking at skipping a grade. Probably not the first option I would look at or step that I would jump to. You can contact me about that if anybody's in that situation and wants some more more insights. But I would definitely say to answer that mom that... It is totally fine to have a bit of that repetitive, going back to something comfortable, back to something easy, whether it's home or school, if they want to default to that a bit. If they've worked hard all day at school, that might be something the mom might be seeing at home is that they want to just go back to something easy that they already know, um, which could which could be the case. But yeah, so it's okay a little bit, but you definitely want them to be mostly doing things that are pushing them and helping them grow Next question also has a bit of an academic angle to it. What are some of your ways to keep kiddos active and learning in the winter? So I'm going to kind of split the active and the learning a little bit. So for active in the winter, Take advantage of free indoor places. Now, I mean, of course you can go outside and be active in the winter, but I'm just wondering if this mom might be looking for other options. Yes, go play in the snow and do all those winter things. But the mall, like kids running up and down the halls in the mall, especially when it's not a busy time, that can be a great way to burn off some energy. Places like McDonald's Play Place, even if you are opposed to that kind of food for your child, which I certainly am not myself, but you can go get a coffee and sit at the little counter right outside the Play Place and watch your child and again they have some time to be active. Other indoor play places Things that you can do at home, um, like using your laptop or your other devices to look up Just Dance videos on YouTube. We do those with the class all the time, and they're four and five years old. They're not exactly following the moves, but they love it. So you just Google Just Dance Kids and find all sorts of fun songs that they can do. Things at home like Freeze Dance or Balloon Volleyball. Go Noodle is another great website where there's all sorts of movement. Some of it's more the slow, like if they need stretching or they need calming, those sorts of things. But there's also a lot of really active dance. Dance party kind of fun things to do with kids at home. I would also just remind parents getting from the activity also into the learning to optimize screen time as best you can the screens are not evil you just have to make sure you use them for the right stuff. So again if you want to have kids learning throughout the winter I mean I'm no expert in blue light and and those sorts of disadvantages of a tablet but really in terms of language development, if they're doing a word jumble on a screen or a word jumble on a piece of paper, their learning of letters and words is going to be the exact same or an I spy game or those sorts of things that, that can help engage their brain. If they're doing, you know, little math drill games, something fun like that, if it's engaging and motivating for them to do it on the tablet or the phone or the or the laptop, whatever, then there's really nothing wrong with that. I just don't like as much of the passive consumption of things You. Using screens and then of course there's always an appropriate content. You want to make sure everything's at the right age level for your child. Do your um do your own screening of that, but use screens as much as you can. And of course reading. I mean the most authentic learning is the stuff that kids enjoy and are doing in real life. So books be reading to your kids all the time at any age. I try, even with my older girls, we'll get on a roll where we'll read a chapter, a night of some great classic book. And then after a week, it kind of falls apart for a couple of weeks. But it's great to read to kids of any age, really. And then getting them involved in all that authentic stuff, like the math that's involved in baking and measuring and crafts and those sorts of things. Um, The language when you're out looking at signs, reading information. I mean, even if it's just, look, I see the letter G, my name starts with G, something like that. Or even, well, what is it mean when it says you're not allowed to such and such and that's forbidden on this sign? Discussing that kind of thing. Um, And then writing just really authentic stuff. Okay, we're going to go to the grocery store, write down this list for me. Or do you want to send grandma an email and tell her about what happened today at school and type up the email? All of that kind of stuff can, can help keep kids active and learning throughout the winter. Next question is one that I get a lot, which is, are the hosts of the social nice in real life? And I think people always want to have some sort of uh, negative thing to say about women and are they catty and do they fight and whatever. Yes, they have all been very nice to me in real life. When I first met uh, most of them, it was when I went to do a behind the scenes at the social before I was actually a guest. They were all very kind to me. Now, I know Lainey kind of loves to uh, portray herself as this cold, you know, cold-hearted, tells-it-like-it-is, non-friendly person. And when I met her, she was certainly the most business-like, like, hello, nice to meet you, handshake, back to work. But then after the show that day, she made a point of coming over to me, and my friend Allison was there with me as well, and she was very pregnant, and she's a big Lainey Gossip fan. And Lainey said, Oh, you know what? I've got some time. Do you want to come to my eTalk desk and we can talk a little bit more? So I went and did an interview with her there. She gave me like laser focus, answered my questions. I asked her a photo and she said, let's go out on the eTalk set so that we can have a good background. So she kind of gave herself away that she's not quite the cold-hearted person that she likes to portray herself as. But since then, I mean, I've interviewed all of the ladies. I've been on the show and interviewed by them. They're always so supportive, and that was great, and, and feedback, that kind of thing, complimentary. You know, even just something like, oh, I love that ring, can sort of put you at ease before you start a segment. Um, and I've interviewed them for other things too, like for my blog or for magazine articles. They're always very accessible, accommodating. I had Cynthia Loist on episode two actually of the podcast if you want to go back and check that out um and I'm sure the other ladies will will be on at some point too so yes they are they are nice in real life as well Next question is, what is one of your most embarrassing moments? So I jotted down three quick little stories to tell you. So one has to do with when I started freelance writing and I didn't exactly know how it all worked. It was very new to me. So I pitched an article to a magazine and the editor wrote back and said, yeah, I like that idea. I think I kind of want you to take more of this angle instead of what you pitched, kind of something like this. You know, I'll, I'll put together a contract, get back to you. Well, I didn't hear for a while and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to be really impressive and I'm going to just go ahead and write that article. So I did. I did some research and I interviewed some people and I put it together and it was, you know, a fairly well-written article, I think. I submitted it and that's really not how it works. So she got back to me. She was very gentle and said, no, no, you need to wait for the contract because I'm going to have all the points in it that I want you to cover and the things that I want you to include in the article. So yeah, what you submitted is is not going to fly. And I was mortified. And when I look back now, I don't feel quite as embarrassed as I did um, all those years ago. But you know, when you make a work-related mistake like that and you just want to die because you you didn't know and uh, and you did it anyway. So that was one. Another one is one of the first times I was on the social. I'd had a cold, a bit of a cough. I was really nervous that I was going to go into a coughing fit while I was on the show. So I was sitting there on the couch. Tracy Melchor was asking me a question, and I could feel that tickle in the back of my throat. And I thought, oh, am I going to cough? Am I going to cough? She asked the question and then I had to turn and cough. And so of course I do a big, awkward cough into my elbow, which is perfectly appropriate in the kindergarten class, but not so classy looking on live television. So I coughed into my elbow and then I kind of paused cause I thought, Oh my goodness, what was the question that she even asked me? So I paused for a moment and then all of a sudden it came to me. I think I recovered and I did fine. But in my mind, I was so embarrassed by those few seconds on air where I coughed and paused and didn't know what I was doing. A third little example, just a more recent one, has to do with email and being careful. I received a quote from a contractor for a job that we wanted done, and, you know, I wasn't very impressed with the quote, and it wasn't just the amount. There were some, you know, there's some things going on there that that deserve for me not to be impressed. Forwarded to my husband, kind of gave him some thoughts, and then sat down and realized, I don't remember typing in my husband's name. And then I thought, oh my gosh, I hit reply, I hit reply. And yes, I had hit reply and sent it back to the contractor with the thoughts that were meant only for my husband to see. So really that's one of those lessons that you need to take your time and watch what you are doing (laughs) when you are sending emails and texts and those sorts of things. But I was very mortified and embarrassed by that one. I wrote back again and apologized and explained this is not how I meant to respond to you. This was for my husband, but still, I'm sure the damage was done and we did not end up going with that contractor for that particular job. So those are some embarrassing Kate Win moments for you. The next question is about my Kate Middleton replicates. Where do you find your Kate Middleton replicates? So I am a fan of the Duchess of Cambridge's fashion and particularly her accessible kind of things. I mean, I don't buy any haute couture Garments, I do not spend thousands of dollars. Rarely would I even spend hundreds of dollars on an item. But I follow a few accounts that are great. So what would Kate do is one, Kate's Closet, Budget Duchess, Royal Replicate, Royally Broke. There are several others. So I'm sorry to the people that I didn't mention. Those are the ones that just came to mind off the top of my head, but they post a lot about Kate's fashion and then also where you can find replicas of things. Now I do have some real items exactly like what Kate has, like a pair of Zaramoto pants, Um, a checked blouse from Gap, some Adidas sneakers, they were sold on eBay. And I know for a fact, well, I don't know for a fact, but I really am sure the seller did not realize that they were an item, just a pair of Adidas sneakers that Kate Middleton owned because they were selling them for a very reasonable price for a pair of shoes. So um, I think they probably could have got way more than they got from me, but... um, and I also believe that I may be getting a Kate Spade jewelry item, the same as one that Kate Middleton owns, too, for Christmas. You never know. I also have a pair of Kodiak boots that uh, that Meghan Markle has the exact same ones, too. So I find that fun. I don't buy the high-end stuff. Sometimes I buy replicas of things. So she has a $5,000 dress that looks like this, but I found a knockoff online for $50, or a lot of jewelry. There are jewelers who make kind of replicas of some of her things, so it looks exactly like her uh, multi-thousand dollar earrings, but really I paid $30 or whatever. So that's fun. But I'd say following Instagram accounts and then linking to their blog posts or sometimes just right in their Instagram posts, they talk about where you can get other things. So that's where I find that stuff. And then um, eBay or Amazon, places like that are usually where to order from, but sometimes it is Zara or Gap or, or um, retailers that you know of, and that's where you can find things as well. Someone asked just the other day, was that you microneedling in your Insta stories? So I posted a very close up, and yes, it was me, of my cheek, right after my recent microneedling facial. So you can see all of the dots, tons and tons of red dots where the needles had gone in. And I just wanted to, you know, give a real look for people. I have a blog post up now about microneedling facials. So again, I'll put that link at thismumloves.ca slash podcast and click on episode 12. All about, I did a review of a new medical spa in Lindsay where I live called Rx Cosmetics. Rx Cosmetics. Really recommend it and tons of information there about the micro-needling facial. Basically, they use a pen with little needles to poke holes in the skin, and the idea is then the skin rejuvenates, there's collagen production, it helps with a ton ton of issues that you might have going on with your skin. But yes, that was me, and you can find all sorts of information about that on my site. How do you organize receipts? So I have a couple of systems for receipts. I keep um, a big notebook, which is my date book and also where I record budget. So for small purchases, I would take my receipt, I would write it down on my little budget, crumple up the receipt, throw it in the garbage. Um, I try to keep as little paper as I possibly can. So that's those kinds of things. Sometimes you have a receipt and it's for something where you're going to need it for warranty, um, like a major purchase. So I have a special envelope where I keep those things. And so I keep that in a special spot in my my bedroom and then when I go through my dresser and clean things out every time, which I do frequently because that's the kind of woman I am, I'll always go through that envelope and see, okay, what's outdated, what warranties are, are invalid anymore so that I can clean out that envelope too. In my email, I have an email folder called um, shopping if it's something that I think I might need to return that I ordered online. But again, most times when I order clothes or something for the girls, I try them on, I take the tags off, I hang them up and put them away. It's not something that I think I would need to hang on to the receipt to return them. So again, I just keep the things that, that I would actually need, like maybe electronics or that sort of thing. And I have an email file called taxes as well. So charitable donations, things like that that get emailed to me or expenses. I mean, I'm I'm virtually a public employee, so I don't keep a lot of things for work expenses for my main job, but for my freelance writing side, which of course I, I pay taxes on, I do keep expenses for that. So I have a, an e-file for that. And then just a file in my filing cabinet um, that says taxes as well for any paper copies of those sorts of things that I get, but generally speaking... Um, Um, most receipts come in and then they go. Now, I have moved in terms of souvenirs. I talked about one day on the show, taking photos of things and putting them all into Google Drive. So that's probably the next step that I should take to be uh, tech happy around here is um, to just take uh, photos of a lot of receipts that I think I might need to keep long term and upload them and have them there. So I would definitely suggest doing that if you're trying to get rid of paper as well. The next question is also about organization and it is, were you as organized as you are now when the girls were babies? And if so, share your secrets. Well, I have to tell you, I jotted down answers for most of these questions just so I'd be prepared. And each answer that I wrote down was about two, sometimes three lines of just little points that I wanted to mention. I counted the lines that I wrote for this answer and there were 20 lines. So I really don't wanna give it way more time than all the other questions. So maybe this person and I can can talk um, in person later. But biggest secrets I would say, well, first of all, to answer the question, I've always been organized. So yes, when I was pregnant, when I had babies, when my children were small, yes, I was organized. But of course there was a little bit more slack. Like there's sort of a phase you go through, the newborn phase. And that's where I kind of felt like my body belongs to my babies for a few more months. I gave them that before I started sleep training and all that sort of stuff. And so same thing, like my time was kind of to them for feeding on demand for, you know, you you can't overly cuddle a baby, all that sort of stuff. So no, there were things that didn't get done maybe in quite as timely a manner as I would like. It's wonderful that I had a lot of support from my husband. Also in Canada, we get one year maternity leaves that are partially paid paid for. So being home and not having to work too is way different than a mom going back with a six week old baby, trying to keep it all together. But um, biggest thing I mentioned earlier, how I have my big date book, it's got budgets and everything in it. Um, so in terms of things going on every day, look first at what's going on that day. Am I ahead? Is there anything I should have bought for something I have to do today? Anybody I should have called anything that needs to be done. Okay. I'm good for today. And then take a glance at the rest of the week. Is there anything I should order anything I need to put in the mail, et cetera, to make sure you're prepared for the rest of that week. Lists, lists, lists on my dates in each book, I would write down and I still do everything that needed to be done. And I remember when Olivia was really newborn, my dad coming to visit me and me saying, I feel like I'm not getting anything done. And I just love crossing things off my list. So it was just so frustrating for me. You know, I feel like a failure because I'm not getting all that stuff done. And my dad half jokingly said, why don't you just write, look after baby on all of those lines. So then you can just check it off, cross it out. Yes, I did it. But I'm still very much a junkie for productivity and crossing things off. So keeping lists right there. So it's not little scrap pieces of paper all over and in your purse. You want to put it on your phone, that's fine. I'm just still kind of a paper and pen person when it comes to my date book. Also worrying about what matters to you. If you want to be organized, I have a big thing for neatness, tidiness, clutter. My own stuff. I don't care, I'll go to somebody's classroom or somebody's home and they'll say, oh, you must just hate this, oh, this must be driving you crazy. Well, it's not my work, it's not on my list, I don't have to do this, so it doesn't drive me crazy. But at home, if I see things left out from a meal that I've cooked, you know, when I cook meals, or laundry that I know I need to fold and put away, it's kind of like a to-do list on the back of my mind, and I just like things really clean and sparse and simple to tell you the honest truth, you know, I'm going to tell this to you guys because I, I trust you with this information. Maybe I care about it a little more than, than is healthy, but it's because I do. So I'm not running around tidying thinking, Oh, what if somebody comes to the door? I'm so worried what somebody else is going to think about me. I do it for me. So make sure that your standards, you're not worrying too much about doing things for others and what others think. Um, Things like toys. I mean, if you've got a little tiny baby, they're probably not making too much mess. But as kids get older and their toys, I did believe in cleaning up at the end of every day. Some people would say, oh, they're just going to get it out again tomorrow, make another mess. Psychologically for me, I wanted it away. And then as they got old enough to start putting things away themselves, they understood. Like, okay, bedtime, everything goes back. I liked keeping things like Barbies in one bin and the Lego was in one bin and the puzzles got put back together in the puzzle area. Um, it is a little more work to keep it that way. But again, once you have your kids trained, they can do that for sure. Keep a little bit of a dump zone, whether it's your junk drawer. I always had one corner on the kitchen counter that was kind of under... Um, under a little raised bar where people couldn't see it, but if there was still paperwork to be filled out or something that needed to be read, just to have in one place. So you're not leaving you know, mail that you have to answer and that sort of thing all over the place. Have one little zone and then when you have time, you can get to it and get some stuff done. Staying on top of things. I'm a firm believer in one load of laundry per day to keep things done. Batching your errands. So writing down everything that needs to be done maybe once or twice a week. If you can go um, in a morning, I know when you've got a baby, I used to try to get everything done that I could in a morning, especially because as they got older towards that one year mark, we phased out the morning nap. And then I could always be home and have that nap time because that was so precious. So if we occasionally lost a morning nap to errands, I could live with it. But I always wanted to be home for that afternoon nap. Now, I wish they had had click and collect when I had babies because laundry has always, or not laundry, groceries have always been an errand that I have not enjoyed. So I would recommend things like that, anything where you don't have to do the errand yourself. I keep a file folder for each girl with birth certificate, social insurance number, special things, um, lock of hair, the kind of thing that you don't want to just take a picture of and get rid of, the kinds of things that you actually need to keep. So I organize their stuff so they each have one file folder and that's where it would go. Accepting help would be another big tip that I would give for staying organized. I mean, my parents have always been so amazing to help us out with things and spend time with the girls. I know my dad had retired when Olivia was born. So even when she was a newborn, he would come up and help, you know, even if I needed to sleep, but also if I needed to go and get something done. They've also always been really great to pick something up. You know, if they live closer to a store than I do, they will run out and get it for me and then just give it to us the next time they see us. So don't be afraid to ask for that kind of help, especially from family members and and grandparents, if you're so lucky to have them, because they do want to help and, and make things easier we got babysitters when Olivia was three months old. She'd of course already been with my parents, but we had a a teenager we trusted uh, with her life, obviously, um, at three months. And we went and did some things, um, together that one day. And I remember the first day of having that teenage babysitter and we never looked back. So there's no shame at all in hiring out or having somebody else look after your child so you can get things done and just try to get rid of the guilt. Don't be hard on yourself. I mean, if you like to be organized, like I do, you want to do it for your sake, then those are certainly some tips to help you keep up with things. But if you can't, you're just doing your best. All moms are just doing the best that they can do and there really should be no judgment. I mean, if you want to fold laundry while your child's sitting in the bouncy seat, then go ahead and do it and they're going to be just fine. You'll have some people say to you, oh, the time goes so fast. The laundry can wait. Just cuddle your baby. Well, as long as you are cuddling your baby a lot in the day, the child will be fine if they sit in the bouncy seat while you fold your laundry too, if that's going to make you a happier mom. And if you want the laundry to pile up because you really don't care about it and you just want to cuddle with the baby, then do that. Do what whatever, whatever works for you. So sorry for that long rambly answer. And I hope it helps. A couple more questions. What have you learned about podcasting so far that has surprised you? So some things shouldn't have been a big surprise, but things that I have learned. One, there are a lot more tech components to it. Like I kind of just envisioned recording an audio file and then uploading it to Apple podcasts and there it is. But no, I use Audacity to record when I'm doing solo stuff like I am right now, but I also invested in a good microphone, a pop filter, so you don't hear all those p-p-p-sounds Some things like that, that I had to to spend out on. Then I also needed a different program for when I'm interviewing people because we, I use voice over internet protocols. So it's a program called Zencaster. So again, it's all these memberships and things you have to have. And then you actually have to have a site that hosts your media files. You don't upload directly to the blog directories. So I use Blueberry. I'm not sure if that's exactly how you pronounce it. There are letters missing from the normal spelling of Blueberry. But so I use them again, monthly fee that you have to pay there. And I'm really, really happy with them. Actually, if anybody's interested in podcasting and wants to talk to me about any any of that, that would be great, but a lot of different steps and pieces. So I had to do research on that before I started. I'm surprised how few people are actually listening to podcasts yet. And again, I don't know why I'm surprised because I really just got onto it last summer. But there are so many people still who say, what's a podcast? Where do you find that? I don't know. Do I have that app? Do you have to pay anything? What do you do? So obviously you're listening, so you know how this works, but a lot of people don't. So do me a favor. If there's anyone who doesn't know how to listen to a podcast, if you've got a friend or a coworker or your mother or your daughter, um, help them out, um, sit down with them, Get make sure their app is, is up and running for whatever they want to use. Apple Podcasts. I use Spotify because I have a Samsung phone. But anything goes wherever you can get podcasts, so help them out with that. And also the fact that it takes a lot of work to make a conversation sound easy. And I've been uh, been very pleased by a couple compliments I've received from people who have interviewed who have said after, oh, I can't believe you're new because, you know, you're really good at this, you're a natural, which I'm really just um, bragging there, but uh, because it is hard. It's a lot of work. I actually enjoy it. I love the work of preparing questions. I find it really fun, even when it means reading or rereading a book that an author wrote so that I'm ready for the interview. I do enjoy all of that preparation, but then it's even hard as we're talking because sometimes I'll have a whole bunch of questions and I'll think, oh, they're giving really long answers. I'm going to have to cut some questions. So I'm listening to them, but then sort of scratching things out at the same time and looking ahead, but wanting to sound like it's a two-way conversation. So that would be something I think that has surprised me a little bit as well. So thank you for asking about podcasting. One um, Instagram friend wants to know, what is your daily skincare and makeup routine? What products do you love? So ever since I was a lot younger, I've used Cetaphil, some people pronounce it Cetaphil, as a cleanser. It's a really, really mild, gentle skin cleanser that my mom introduced me to. So that is my morning and night cleanser. It's great at removing makeup. It's great for sensitive skin. As I said, it's just so super mild. I use that. I've been using the Olay Regenerist line. There's a serum and a cream and an eye cream. I've got a few things from that line that I've been using. Um, and some of them I probably will. You know you know, it's a, a good product that you like if you purchase it again once you run out. And I will be with some of those Olay Regenerist things. I also have to say I have a Retin-A prescription from my doctor. So any article you read about anti-aging and skincare, they always say that retinol is the gold standard. And in fact, I challenge any beauty writer out there to write an article and talk about retinol without saying gold standard. It seems like that's in every article. So I do think I have to give some of the credit for my skin to that because, um, Retinol is a very active ingredient in there, very strong, and I put it on two or three times a week. It's quite drying on my skin, especially I find, and a lot of people find when they start using it, if you use it every night, you really get red and dry and flaky. So start slowly and build up if um, if you start using that. With makeup, I'm not really loyal to any particular brands. I talked about a really creamy Maybelline eyeliner that I love on the show a few weeks ago. But other than that, nothing specific. I do have a Clinique foundation that I bought one time when I was doing a buy so much to get the the free, free deal. One time we were in Montreal shopping. But usually I'm all about the drugstore finds, things that are are cheap and easy. I know when I started using the Retin-A and I found I'd go to put foundation on, it would be really flaky on me. So a couple of pieces of advice I got were to put a primer on at first. So I do use a primer and then a really creamy moisturizer first. So not just a lotion, but something thick and creamy and gunky before the foundation goes on. And I find that that, that helps. And I do have a little beauty blender sponge that I got in a FabFitFun box last season and a really amazing teacher candidate who worked with me Haley she had recommended that I should get a Beauty Blender when I asked her about her uh, her great makeup routine so I have used it once I'm going to plan to start using it a little bit more but that's supposedly a great tool for applying makeup too is the Beauty Blender So those are are my tips. And the last question is, what is something I don't know about you? Well, this actually comes from someone who knows me really well. We've known each other for a short amount of time, but I started thinking, oh my gosh, what does she not know about me? But there's a lot that you listeners might not know. So just a few little tidbits. My middle name is Celestia, and I was named after uh, a great grandmother on my mom's side, so I'm always proud of my unique middle name. My university degree is in French language and literature. And so sometimes I think that's why writing in English, why I enjoy it or it comes easily for me because I did a whole degree of reading and writing everything in my second language. So, um, doing it all in English seems like a bit of a breeze compared to that. Um... One last little tidbit, I wore, I've worn glasses from the age of eight. I got my first glasses, started to wear contacts in grade eight. When I first got those, I wasn't allowed to leave the doctor's office with them because I couldn't put them in and take them out by myself. So my aunt, who was at the time my uncle's girlfriend, taught me. She had contacts. And so she taught me using her eyes. So she would let me put her contact lenses in her eyes and pop her, her lenses out so I could learn to do it, and which I did. And I wore my contacts way more than I should have, basically from waking to going to sleep for, oh, 25-ish years. Not quite that long, but I got LASIK, laser eye surgery, three or four years ago, and... um I've never had to wear contacts since then, but I was a glasses and contacts girl for a long time. Really high prescription, pretty uh, pretty blind as a bat without them, and the LASIK has, has helped a lot with that. So there are a few tidbits that people might not have known about me. So thank you for that idea, my friend who gave that to me. Thank you to my editor, Lucas Wojcicki, for editing my episode so well, and to all of you for being here because that is the end of episode 12 and also the end of season one of This Mom Loves. Now, you only have a couple of weeks to wait for season two. When this episode um, is originally airing, it is Christmas season. So I'm going to take a, a couple of weeks off for that. But I have some amazing guests lined up. I can't even, I don't know how I'm going to fit them all in in January and February. I have. Um, like talk show host. I have guest experts on sleep and women's health and personal finance. Um, I've got some other surprise ones. I might, might not mention them right now, but you're definitely going to want to be, be back for season two. But in the meantime, Please rate the show wherever you listen. Please review it and help spread the word. That could be your Christmas gift to me if you are so inclined. Get your friends, family, colleagues, anybody who you think might like this mom loves, get them on board. Tell them they've got some time to get caught up on the first little season before the new season begins. And I'm uh, I'm so excited for an awesome 2019 on the show. And I really, really appreciate all of you being here and listening. It means so much to me thank you for your support. In the show notes, I will have all sorts of things, a link to the book that I talked about, the article on taking kids to restaurants, where kids eat free in Canada, links to where I find my Kate Middleton fashions, my microneedling review. I also have just posted recently a post with links to all of my interviews with the ladies from the social. They get a lot of traffic on my blog and I thought I'd put them all in one place. So there's a long list there of interviews with each person, behind the scenes, things like that. So you can just find what you want and click on. So all of that is at thismumloves.ca slash podcasts. And again, clicking on episode 12, which is the end of season one. So thank you so much for being here and I look forward to, uh, to being with you again in season two.